airport 10 minutes because i feel like last time you got stuck in traffic it takes a little more than 10 minutes yeah now i'm farther away from it now than i used to be now it's more 20 to 30 20 to 30 to like be there and parked so you lied yes but (laughs) i didn't tell you that i was going to speed the whole time because when i said that it was because i thought chris was dying and so Mm. you know i can go 2x the speed get there and have the time so your thought was it would be better for me to get in the car in Phoenix, go to the airport, buy an airplane ticket, and fly to St. Louis. He can fly me. the airplane twice as fast as well. Yes. That's what he didn't mention. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot that part. But yeah. yes, once I fly I, the plane twice as have fast. Have you ever heard of the Cannonball Run? Yes. No. Do you want to do it? I'm down. If we can drive twice as fast, then we should win, right? I mean, might as well. So the Cannonball Run, for anybody that doesn't know, is like... You start in New York City at the Red Ball Garage, and you drive to Los Angeles, the Portofino Inn, as fast as possible, as few stops as possible. People put a giant fuel cell in the trunk of their car. People hire airplanes to fly overhead to look for cops and stuff. It's nuts. I'm down. We could do it. What do we could record a podcast the entire way. Let's you do it. You don't win anything. It's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> you win yeah. by not going to jail. Yeah. There's another thing that happens as well. The fastest lap of Manhattan. And the guy, Afro Duck or whatever, who did that not too long ago got caught. And he like posts the video afterwards because he yeah, broke obviously. the record. And then he gets arrested or whatever. But anyways, I think it was the last record or something I was watching or reading about. Because you have to stop for fuel a few times, of course. So like your average speed goes down real fast, but they have to be like driving 160 miles an hour or more as often as possible in order to beat the record these days. It's wild. The last record was set during COVID where everybody was home. So it's like not even maybe Uh, feasible to beat until there's another pandemic-esque thing. So, yeah. I've got a plan for the fuel, though. You know how they refuel jets midair? Jason's got a plane, right? Jason can fly in my brain. So Jason flies over us in this plane, right? He can fly right? twice the speed limit. Exactly. So he's flying twice the speed limit. <laughs> You're driving because obviously I'm going to be the one that yeah. gets out on the roof of the car and then grabs yeah. like the hose and then like hooks it in and then we're golden. Forgot that we're spoiling the next Fast and Furious movie. Oh, yes. We're, Sorry. We actually we read the script. Yeah, Jason's a stand-in for Vin Diesel. Naturally, I mean, that was a good question. <laughs> anyway, yep. I got something actually this week. Hold on. Something programming related? Yes. Or Vin Diesel related? Or Not, both? I have nothing Vin Diesel related to give either of you. I do. Family. So, about baby oil. There is... That was really funny. There is a song that Vin Diesel recorded. What? Really? Yeah, one of my friends who is... Just a Vin Diesel fan, ironically, because those exist. I don't know. He showed it to me. Also, Michael C. Hall from Dexter. He's got a band called Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum or something like that. And he like tours and stuff. Well, that's actually kind of interesting. (laughs) I don't know if I want to hear Vin Diesel sing, though. Like, there's been a lot of weird, messy things that have happened to me in my life. And I don't want to add to that. Like what? (laughs) I don't want to say. (laughs) Can I get my programming topic? Yeah. (laughs) Long time ago. Well, maybe not long, but in the end of 2022. What, Jason? The end of 2022 was two months ago. That was a while ago. Measure your life at a quarter mile at a time, remember? So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jason, come on. A few miles back. Yeah. I was was thinking, like, (laughs) oh, by the way, happy late birthday from the remote Ruby gang. Told you happy birthday. The slacks. Did I miss it? Oh, no. Yeah, it's March yeah. 1st. He just oh, turned 21. Yep. Finally can drink. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Preach. When this goes live, it'll be way late, but... I know. It'll be another quarter it'll mile. Be next year. This is really for 2024. So happy yeah. birthday. <laughs> Thank you. That way I don't forget. You're the first one. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. So last year, at the end of the year, I was working with Turbo and Infinite Scrolling Pagination. And 
At Podia, we were using Kaminari for all our pagination. And as I dug deeper and deeper to what I thought was going to be an easy problem and ended up not being because of an external requirement on the project, outside of that, I realized that when you're using Turbo with Pagey, I was having instances where other controllers were executing Turbo streams. And those Turbo streams were updating the pagination wrapper stuff so that it would automatically do what it needed to do, et cetera, et cetera, business logic. But the problem was, is that Pagey uses request.path inside of its helper to decide what the path is for the pagination URL. So if I'm on posts and I execute a turbo stream from like, I don't know, post likes controller, Pagey sees that request path, post likes, and it tries to use that for the pagination, whereas I want it to stay post controller. And so over Christmas break, I think it was, the author of Pagey reached out to me. He was like, hey, I heard the podcast and I fixed it. And here we are a short time later. (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's perfect. I'm going to try it. And then I went back to work in January. And then I have not come up for air a single time since. I started on it recently and then like actually pushed it today. I was like, okay. Because the way I solved it is I was using JavaScript. So every time... I put it like a JavaScript controller on the element. And then whenever the element connected, I automatically changed the URL with JavaScript to be what I needed to be, which is uber hacky and wasn't very scalable because we were running into instances where like someone else on the team had to add something and they're like, why isn't pagination working? Well, it's because Andrew did this super hacky thing. But I was convinced that Pagey was the right option. So that's why I was like, this is fine because eventually there will be a solution and there is now. So you can use this new request path option when you're specifying Pagey in the controller and give it a path and it will then use that path regardless. So I verified it working again today just in like right before I pushed the code because now I actually need the code. So it worked perfectly. I got to remove all that JavaScript. I got to simplify the views because now we don't have this massively long controller stuff and value stuff when using Pagey link helper. And it feels good, man. So I just wanted to give that update because we talked about it a while ago, but... Here we are. And now it works perfectly. So if you're using Pagey and you want to use it with Turbo, there's now a great option with RequestPath. So shout out to the author. Thank you if you're listening for making that change and then letting me know about it because it is excellent. He is probably one of the most responsive gem authors out there or maintainers. I ran into some things with Maily Search, same deal on the pagination stuff and boom. He'll send me emails when there's new major versions out and has improvements and stuff. It is top-notch maintenance. It is great. He does an excellent job. I was like so surprised to get that email, but then very thankful for it. So I was like, I've (laughs) never had a gem owner, like number one, listen to a podcast where I complain about something, fix it, and then send me the solution. And I'm like, this is amazing. So yeah, again, shout out. Yep. DD Nexus, amazing guy. Does... Excellent, excellent work. And obviously, too, Pagey is like the fastest pagination library, right? hands down, which is yeah. like fun to read because you're like used to, oh, we'll use a partial or something and render out these things. And it's like the default is a helper with all these little optimizations in there to generate all the HTML. And then it's fun because it's kind of like, well, for performance, you actually have to do these kind of obscure things to get it to render as fast as possible. So it's like maybe not as easy to read as you would like or whatever, but that's just kind of what happens with performance optimizations. You end up doing, you know, video games will sometimes write assembly code or whatever to optimize some crazy thing. And you're like, ideally, we wouldn't have to do that. But here we are. It's fun to read the source code of that. And then there's all the million different plugins that he maintains for Bootstrap and Tailwind and Melee Search and sorting arrays and sorting active record and probably SQL and whatever other backend libraries. Lots of complexity to pagination that you wouldn't really expect. Yeah. I always thought that was funny because Will Paginate or Cabinari, I remember looking at it at one point, it was like after I learned for the first time how to do like count and limit and you know build pagination from scratch. And then I look at the gem and I'm like how in the hell does this have a thousand some commits? Pagination isn't that hard. Like, eh, it turns out all the edge cases and backend things that you might have to support that aren't just a database or something, they do actually 
make it that complicated, which is funny. I was banging my head against the wall for like several days trying to make Kaminari work. We had specific business requirements that led to some of this complexity or led to Kaminari specifically not being an option for me. But once I slotted in Pagey, it was like, oh my God, it works. I had wondered where Pagey came from because I saw it added in the app. I it's did. also really good for the 2% of our viewers, maybe who build pagination the front end with React. Pagey's really good at that because they have this like metadata option you can turn on. And in the front end, you have the full set of variables and properties you need to build pagination the front end. I did that with Inertia JS. It's a library that lets you like build server side Rails apps, but the front end's powered by we'll, React. It, we'll put a link to that episode yeah. in with Jonathan, Jonathan Inc. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. But I was able to like just build a pagination component and just pass that metadata in like from Rails. And I've even done that too with view components. I built like pagination view components and then just pass like the pagey object in basically on job boardly in that like back end. Every time you see pagination, it's always the same component. It's awesome. So I'm a big pagey fan. Big pagey fan. Oh, yes. I remember, I think it was Active Admin or whatever uses maybe Kaminari. And then I was always like reaching for well paginate. And then those two conflicted and you had to like, configure one of them to use a different per page method or something on your models. Yeah. Now happy that like pagey works differently by not adding because like when you call pagey, it's like the pagey method on the back end and you give it your array of items to paginate and it gives you back two items rather than adding like a per page method to chain onto your active record query. And that's another nice thing that it just will never conflict then which is excellent. I don't know. Pagination has been a strange thing that I feel like until Pagey came around, there was always like, ah, what do I use? Kaminari? We'll paginate. I don't know. Flip a coin. They're pretty much the same. And now like always default to Pagey and that's that problem solved. If I'm about to have to do more pagination in Podia and I'm not planning to use anything else. So I also think it's cool how he's organized the code. It reminds me a lot of how... Shrine is written kind of agnostic to Rails, where Pagey, you have to actually include the Pagey backend in your controller and Pagey frontend in your helpers. And then it exposes these methods, but they're not there out of the box as soon as you install the library. And like it would be as easy as kind of detecting if Rails is there and adding a Rails engine that injects those automatically, but it doesn't do that. And it feels just more standard old Ruby. And guess what? You can use this in any class that doesn't have to be a controller or whatever, a helper or a view or whatever. And, you know, it just feels nice that it's like, like Shrine. Hey, this is just some Ruby code. Happens to integrate with Rails if you want, but it doesn't need to be 100% a Rails focused thing, which is great. I like seeing that just because then we can use it in Hanami or whatever, Sinatra, anything, hopefully. Props to those gem authors that are going that extra mile and making something that's generic for anybody to use in any situation. A plus. Also, the new Pagey docs look incredible. Oh, yeah? Does it get a and revamp? Once I figure out where that came from, I am jugging it. It's mine. It looks great. I actually need a doc template. And even though I've built... Oh, 80, yeah. I always need a new one. Powered by Retype. Retype.com. There's your answer. There I go. I don't think I've heard of them before. I haven't either. But the Pagey docs have improved quite a bit. And this looks great. It is interesting. I'm going to get sidetracked if I don't close this immediately. It's got a pricing link. That's interesting. Yeah, but it looks like... I mean, there's a pro version. Yeah. I might have to try this out. I need something like this. And I know that if I can do it with Bridgetown really easily, but I know if I do it with Bridgetown, I'll never actually give it to Nate because I uh-huh. want it to be perfect. So if I can't touch it, then I can't tweak it. And that's good. Looks like this is written in JavaScript or something. But never mind. it says quick start. You can install retype using NPM, Yarn, or the .NET CLI? The .NET, .NET CLI. Run like for .NET, JavaScript? right? ASP? I don't know it, but it seems like Isn't it's written in JavaScript. So, well, it's the word dot 
D-O-T-N-E-T. So it's like not the period net. I think I that you're thinking of. I type dot net on Google. I, I oh, know what I see. It is it is linking to oh, Microsoft.net. No. Free cross-platform open source developer platform for building many different types of applications. Great description of .NET. That tells me absolutely nothing. So, yeah, I don't know. Is .NET becoming a JavaScript? Yeah, no, it is. .NET CLI tool. I just typed in the actual command minus... Like, yeah, I clicked on the link part. they had in the docs there and it took me to the Microsoft.NET download. What I don't get is... What has .NET become? Because it used to I be its own so, so interested. language thing. It know. used to be like you could use ASP and C Sharp and whatever, but I don't know entirely what it provides. I miss that train. I did Visual yeah. Basic in high school, which was so much uh-huh. fun. Probably the reason I was like, oh, okay, I can be a programmer because then I had Java. Same. Visual Basic was great. Visual Basic was awesome. Because when you're learning, and maybe this is nice for anybody learning web development, but like if you learned starting in Python or C++ or whatever, and you were stuck writing command line apps and you're like, yeah, but how the hell do I build something real? Visual Basic was drag and drop stuff, make it work. I can interact with it. I can give it to my friends. They can like see it and interact with it. And it's not just typing words in a command line. That was such a game changer when you're learning because it makes you feel like you're accomplishing so much more. I guess web development kind of does the same thing, but it's not quite as easy. You don't drag and drop buttons. I guess you could in certain things, but not in Rails land at least. I made my own browser with Visual Basic in high school. And it wasn't even part of like the project. I was just like, wait, if I can build anything... Can I build a browser? And I could. And you could still be maintaining it to this day with I could. tons it's of Internet Explorer. I once used somebody else's browser. It's called a kiosk browser, I think was the name of the repo. You take a Raspberry Pi, Velcro it to the back of a TV, and then you would install my operating system on there where we had set it up to boot directly instead of going into like the GNOME desktop. It would go directly into the kiosk browser which was a full screen browser, no UI other than the WebKit renderer stuff. And then it would load up whatever URL you set. So it would be like your analytics dashboard or whatever. And you just like slap it to the back of a TV, mount it on the wall. And I had a little like web UI, you could push updates to it if you wanted to change the URL or like some TVs. The resolution was a little weird. Linux wouldn't quite pick it up right so it'd be like overflowing the screen a little bit or something so you could like adjust the kiosk mode or whatever but man that was fun if you want to build your own browser like that it's like very little work to just like import webkit and render it and that's it that's pretty cool that sounds fun sounds like something i want but have no use for like i want a tv (laughs) above my computer with a dashboard on it what would i put on the dashboard i have no idea probably just memes of jason there you go that's worth investing in. It is worth investing in. I got a brand new <laughs> Jason meme today. I'm very excited about it. This is the one I use in my talk. Oh my God. Andrea sent it to me. I'm like, this is all I've needed, really. It's a good day. So this week, we over at GoRails decided we were just going to use, I think it was Wednesday. Just take the day, do something fun, make a hack day out of it. We built a site called beginnerbounties.com, which got a lot of traction real fast on Twitter. But basically, the idea is, and I've had this idea for years and never really did anything with it. I talked about it a lot, but the idea was like, hey, if you're a junior developer and you need to build your resume, if you want to stand out, one of the best ways is to actually do little projects for other people and actually get paid for it. So we put together beginnerbounties.com so we could list tiny little projects little engineering projects that people could pick up, build a little feature here or there for open source projects. It could be for private proprietary projects too. It really doesn't have to be for anything specific. It could be any language too, Ruby, Python, JavaScript, you name it. But just slap a project on there, put a bounty of 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever you want to do. And hopefully you'll find a good junior who wants to do the work. You can Mentor them if they need help, but they can help you. You can help them. 
build their resume and stuff. And hopefully, you know, that stuff makes it so they can use that and stand out and get their first junior developer position somewhere. And so, yeah, we like Rails nude that and put it together in like two or three hours and shipped it on Hatchbox and put it live and then uh, didn't do pagination. So I put 20 bucks. Hey, if somebody wants to add page you, 20 bucks. Like all of the bounties that we have on there had like five or 10 people who were like, I want to do this. And it's kind of overwhelming the amount of people who want to do those projects, but we don't have enough projects listed yet. So if you have anything you want to do, post them on there, please, because there are a lot of people who this will help and lots of people who want to get involved. And who knows, maybe you find your first junior employee that you can hire through this or whatever. The people are like itching to learn and work on real projects and stuff. So it was a fun week. We ended up spending the whole day on polishing little things and then merging projects and paying out the first five or 10 that first day. I don't remember how many got posted then, but yeah, it was a blast. It's cool to see the community embracing that. Whether US East 1 is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. That's why you need Honey Badger. Honey Badger will be a crucial component of your incident response plan with their uptime monitoring service that now has an exciting new feature, public status pages. Create a new status page with custom domains, branding, and more. Don't let Twitter be the only way your users can find out if your app is down. Sign up for Honey Badger to improve your incident response with a shiny new status page that you will be proud to show your users. Visit honeybadger.io and start giving your users a better experience today and let them know Remote Ruby sent you. Thanks to Honey Badger for their continued support of Remote Ruby. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Everyone should know that like, I'm fully for this and I love this idea and I've been banging on the drum. There are a lot of people who like to talk about helping juniors. And then yes. there are some people who are actually doing the work and like mentoring people on the weekends and like doing this and doing that. But here's my devil advocate question. I have a project and I'll actually use a real example. The new Bridgetown version that came out recently has this whole new configuration system in it. It's like so much better, much more closer to Rails, Ruby, and not like YAML stuff anymore. And I have a gem that I need to upgrade to take advantage of that new configuration system. Now, in my brain, this is what my brain tells me. Ah, I could probably figure it out in like 30 minutes to an hour. Probably not really true. It's probably more like two or three. But if I want to just pay someone to do this, like my brain is like, it would probably take me longer to explain and write out everything and then get this done than it would be for me to actually write the code. Why is that wrong? That's how I feel about a lot of the stuff where I'm like, I could hire somebody to do this project, but I would be done faster by the time. But that's the thing. You don't probably need to be doing that project. You probably also don't need to explain it as thoroughly as you think, because they will be able to learn those things. And they can ask you questions when it comes up. And if you just give them the general guideline of like, this needs to get converted to this new system, they could probably piece together a lot of those things. And the other thing too is for juniors, they don't so much care about the $50 or whatever you might pay them to do that. They care about the experience and everything. So that's kind of just the bonus. So that's how I would look at it. My first ever paid programming thing was like, if I remember right, I spent 80 hours on this thing that got paid like 400 bucks for or something. Like I made pennies on it, but I didn't care. I made 400 bucks that I wasn't going to get otherwise, which was huge. But then the other thing was like, I got to go learn all this stuff. And then I was challenged and I had a specific thing to go learn, which really helps as a beginner where you're like, you're overwhelmed with all the things. What do I actually dig into more deeply? And then if somebody pays you to go focus on something specific, you can like all of a sudden put the blinders on, focus on the one thing and like learn it and actually make that work. So I would look at it that way is like, see how little you can get by, slap 50 bucks on it or something. See how little you can get by with explaining what needs to be done and say like, here's the start, here's the end goal. Maybe if there are some like nuances that they probably wouldn't have picked up on, you could like add those as requirements that like, hey, it needs to do this even though it may not be clear on their own if they were to try it. So fill out 
as few details as possible, but leave it open-ended for them because that's the other thing that they need to learn is what are the questions I have to ask to solve problems? Because if you structure it way too much, then they're just like going through the check boxes and check, check, doing no creative like thinking and problem solving themselves. So it's actually helpful to like do less as the you know project owner there. So that's what I would say, because like you said, there are a lot of people that talk about wanting to help juniors and like lots of complaints about, no, there's not enough companies hiring juniors and yada, yada, yada. But like, that's what we ended up doing on Wednesday because we were like, I freaking hate people just complaining. Let's go do something. And it only took us three hours to get that live and it could have taken us less. But we like spent a lot of time thinking about little decisions along the way and wanted to make sure that it was good. You don't have to use GitHub issues. You could use any link to any website. Could be not even a Git issue or something. So we were trying to like be thorough about it. But in a couple hours, we can actually make something real and actually help people as opposed to complaining and like, oh, more people need to hire juniors and I'll give a talk about it. But like that doesn't really actually help. Going out and talking to companies and convincing them to hire juniors. And here we have, I've met this guy. He's really great. You should hire him or her or whatever. Making the connections and stuff is stuff that helps way more. Helping them build their resumes like this. All that, like do actual things. I said this before the call. It was really funny to see it come out because when I first met Colin and got to understand like what his situation was because I had paired with him on like a Ruby for All issue or something. And so I was like, this kid's got it. And then I learned he's older than me. But <laughs> beside the point, I was like, he's got it. He's got what it takes. He'll get there eventually. And I just knew that about him. And then he was like, here's the problem I keep having. These companies are like, you don't have any experience. And But I'm like, how am I going to get experience if I can't get a job? And so that was something that like irked me a little bit. And I was like, I think I can help solve this. And so what I did was I paid him monthly to work on my open source projects in the hopes that like it would not only pad his resume and like, hey, look at all these projects I've contributed to, but it would also be a way for me, a senior engineer, to be able to give a recommendation for him if a company was calling. And that never ended up happening. He was able to get a job all on his own because he's an excellent engineer and you know the rest is history. But that when I saw that, I was like, that's really funny because in the very beginning, that's what I tried to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know that. So that's really cool to hear. I think that people can go ahead and find projects and Colin can be the person reaching out and meeting you early in his career and like going over and above to make sure he finds a job. That is not always the case. Like people may have full-time jobs and it's harder for them to connect mm-hmm. with other people and And also all the people who are posting these beginner bounties work for some company. So like I know Schwad was tweeting about posting projects on there. He works for Shopify. It might end up that you do some of these projects and then somebody will take you under their wing and then you end up like as a junior developer at Shopify or who knows what. Maybe a company that he's friends with and he can hook you up there. Like the amount of possibilities kind of really opens up once you meet those people who are actually networking and stuff like that. So yeah, Colin is a great example doing it the hard way. And then hopefully we can make it easier and grease the wheels a bit so more people can go straight into the first junior developer position. Because like, I forget who tweeted it, but somebody tweeted that like the top developer salaries or whatever right now are like Rails developers. I was like number one or whatever. And like, crazy. There's not a lot of junior jobs, but guess what? These companies are going to have to start hiring those as it becomes too fierce to fight for the seniors. So then they're going to start looking at juniors, hopefully. If we can make this stuff easier for them to find good juniors who are actually putting themselves out there and working and trying to make a real production I think that's the thing. These are like real production jobs. And if you just went to boot camp you're going to deploy a silly app to production for your final project, but like nobody's going to use it afterwards. So if you're contributing to the Beginner Bounties website or a Ruby Gem or something that somebody pays you for, they're going to go through the more rigorous process of like, hey, you got to add tests for this. You got to think about how this is going to be used in nine different use cases because 
You know, like if you contributed to Pagey, there's like any little change there could affect 12 different situations. And you have to think even deeper about how you make decisions on your code. And I feel like these example projects really set you apart because of that, where it's like, hey, this is kind of production work that you did. So that's rare. Because you're actually shipping something, right? Regardless of where it's shipping to. Eric Berry, like long friend, by the way, he's looking for a job if you're hiring. But Eric was really good at shipping. So good. I don't think I could ever be as good as he was of like, I'm like trying to like nitpick his PR. And he's like, dude, we need to ship this. And I'm like, you're right. And this feedback I'm leaving really isn't that important. That's and a good skill to have. It is. And so I, the point of all that is like shipping, shipping, shipping. That's what sets you apart from the people who have like the example projects. I had the example projects and there's nothing wrong with them. Like you need them to learn. It's more so, I think, working with other developers more so than it is yes. just the code itself. It's like, I want to know that you can work with other people, that you can communicate that you're not the type of person that's going to get stuck and then not tell anyone or you're like this or you're like that, right? And that you see that a lot better when people are actually working on real things, working with real developers. And so, yeah, all I'm saying, if you're a junior out there, consider this. This is a great option. Yeah. You just reminded me of somebody made a PR to the prefixed IDs gem. And I had never even considered this use case, but he was using the prefixed IDs or he was getting them from something And he had an array of them and he needed to like add them to a query. And so he made a PR and like, hey, let's add an unprefix ID. And that whole like conversation between me and him was a really good example of the code is not really the issue. The communication between the developers, what are we trying to accomplish here? How do we make sure that it's understandable by other users and developers? Was an interesting, just tiny conversation we had because he made the PR, was like, hey, this is my use case. So here's unprefix IDs. And I was like, oh, never even thought about that, but it makes sense. We should probably have that. But then I'm reading it and I'm like, what does unprefix ID mean, really? Does it remove the user underscore and then just that prefix part? But the value after the prefix is like an encoded thing using hash IDs. So I was like, ah, maybe we need to rename this to decode prefix ID. So it's a little bit more clear and it's not just stripping off that prefix. So I sent that to him. He made that adjustment and was great about it. And then I was like, you know what? His example, I reviewed it the second time. I was like, his example shows him grabbing an array of them and then mapping and decoding each one. And I asked him, I was like, does it make sense? Should we just put them decoding as a plural version of this method in there as well while we're at it? I mean, it makes sense. So he ended up adding that as well. And then, oh, by the way, add that to the change log. And then me as the maintainer could kind of just purely review it. I didn't have to write the change log entries. I didn't have to like adjust any of this stuff. He wrote the test for it, did a killer job. And then like, Merged it this morning, shipped a new version, voila, he can use it. Anybody else can use it. Those often come up when you're using libraries where you're like, huh, I'm going to do this little workaround. Uh, That's another good one that could become a bounty or if you're a maintainer, it could become a bounty or you could just do this as regular experience. If you're like a junior, find something that's like, it's kind of weird, but I have to do this workaround, found it on Stack Overflow. See if the gem author is willing to just accept an improvement, a new method or something to like handle that weird situation you ended up in. You gave me this idea of like, if I'm on a repo and there's a bug with a gem, like I'm trying to fix something at work, there's a bug with a gem and I'm like, all right, I'm going to monkey patch it and move about my day. But then you go and open the issue and the maintainer is like, either they don't respond or they're like, I don't have time for this right now. And so then as the person who needs the code, that could be like an opportunity for you to open the bounty. But I guess the only issue is like, you don't know if it's going to get accepted or not. But if you don't care and you're just like, I want them like just make the code and yeah. even if you don't accept it, then I'll just take your PR and create a fork and then just use that. I mean, I guess that's something you would probably want to discuss with the maintainer if that's an option. But I could see that as something great too of like, hey, I want this work done. The maintainer doesn't have time and I don't have time, but I want it so I can go get a junior to take care of it for me. Yeah, that's a really good example of a good bounty. That question does come up as like, 
who decides if the code is good, who decides who's going to maintain this stuff. And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. If it's you are paying a bounty for your own project, then you are deciding if the code is good enough. You communicate with them and make sure they've done it the way you want and make sure that you've explained the problem correctly and thoroughly and whatever so they can succeed with it. And then it's like, you know what? If you would like this to be part of that library, but you're not the owner, then like you can still work on it, make a fork. You can still use it every day because you can use that in your gem file directly from your fork. And then hopefully you win and really help the junior with two things. They can fix the issue and make the PR and you can help them do their first PR to a gem. And if they're lucky, they get it merged. And then like you've done a huge amount of stuff for them. Because I know that in college, my senior year, I was using Rails and discovered an issue with group buys in Active Record, which is kind of strange, but this is an early Rails 2.3 or 3.0 or something. So I'm using Active Record and find like, this seems strange. Group buys shouldn't be acting this way in Active Record. So I ended up making PR to Rails with Pixel Tricks's like advice, I think it was, on there. And he helped me write the test and get it merged into Rails, which is awesome. And like, that went straight on my resume is something I can talk about in every interview from then on. Like I contributed to Rails as a person who's never even worked a full-time Rails job or programming job in general. But I had also had like some of those little $800 side projects that I was doing for somebody else. And so like those were massive because who else was graduating in my class with actual like paid work under their belt and open source contributions and stuff like that. Pretty much nobody. There were some, but there was very, very few. So these just, to me, really help set people apart when they're early on in their career. So if we can make that easier for them, it worked for me, worked for Colin, worked for a bunch of people, I think. And hopefully is another way people can stand out because it is going to just get harder and harder with more and more people getting into technology and programming to stand out. Yeah, my little brother is in college right now for computer science. And I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, when he gets out, like, yeah. what's he going to do? I had so many friends that graduated with me and they would graduate with a CS degree and they would go to a boot camp afterwards to yeah. get practical experience. Because like CS degree is a lot of like, oh, we'll do binary trees and data structures and algorithms and we'll do some assembly and we'll do some electrical engineering and whatever. But it's not like a trade school where you're actually doing real work that you would at a job or whatever. So it was crazy to me that like, oh, you spent all this money and went to college for an undergraduate in computer science. And then you're going to go spend another 10, 15, 20 grand on a boot camp and then get a job like, geez. So they could have been doing this real world work that whole time, but they weren't doing stuff outside of class. There's a lot of people who just did whatever work was assigned to them and that was it. I had somebody in the computer lab come up to me once and he's like, dude, I saw your website. Did you make that yourself? I'm like, are you freaking serious? We're computer science students. Why would anybody else make my website or I wouldn't use a tool or anything? I made it myself. I wrote it in HTML, wrote it in CSS, two static files from scratch. Not that hard, but I wanted to learn these things. And it's like, they weren't even going as far as learning HTML on their own. Yeah. Like, crazy to me. The day I figured that out, I was working with a girl on a project and I'm pretty sure it was like a Rails app. I'm pretty sure I just started learning Rails and I had it like up on my computer when she came over and she's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's this app I'm building. <laughs> And she's like, wait, you built that? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, so you're good at this? And I'm like, nah, I, I don't, maybe, I don't know. And she's like, I'll give you $100 if you help me with my homework. And I'm like, ill. And so for the rest of the semester, I made some money because she was not interested in doing that work. So I was like, hey, girl, I got you. That's funny. Yeah, I don't understand that mentality where you're like, you're in this degree or whatever for your career. And if you're not interested in this, outside of class, how are you going to enjoy the day job for the next 40 years or whatever? Like you're picking a career and probably going to stick with this 
Well, they probably won't because uh, they won't. They have no interest. <laughs> but no. yeah, I'm like, why are you fooling yourself into doing this? Like, what's the point? If you don't like it, just go find something else. Go do something you enjoy, something you're interested in. A lot of the times I've seen is by the time they get to that point of realizing that this is not going to work, it's way too late because of the money of college is way too expensive. Uh, it's a freaking scam. Okay. They're already in way too deep and they have to do something. But I think the bigger problem is that the majority of people I went to college with had no idea what they wanted to do with their life, had no plan, yeah, had no aspirations, right. had nothing. And it's like, well, how are you planning to like succeed? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, then, <laughs> all right. It's true. I, like It's the same thing with programming. I know when I like moved from high school to freshman in college, I realized like, oh, college is basically just high school without, well, actually, no, I was going to say without taking attendance, but freshman and sophomore year, like the teachers would take attendance. And I was like, so they're still treating us like it's high school. And I was like, this is very strange because everybody has talked about how you have to be an adult and more responsible and whatever when you move to college. But I was like, the amount of people that are just drinking 24-7 and they're doing less than they were in high school, it was a very strange experience. I definitely agree that like they need time off in between to go figure out what they want to do, what their interests are or whatever, because you're committing a ton of money and being pushed into that maybe by your parents or whatever. And now is not the right time for you because you haven't had a chance in your entire life, you've been from being a kid, you were put in school and you've just done that and never worked ever. So they've never even considered what a career would be. Yeah. It's a very strange thing and it definitely is not the way it should be or it hasn't been made. Some people definitely know what they want to do and it works yeah. real well for them. But like I went to school for computer science. I learned to code in grade school because it was fun and I enjoyed it. Yeah. But then I went to school and was like, if this is what the next four years of my life is going to be like writing programs like this, then I don't want any part of it. I told my parents, like, I don't know if I like programming anymore. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, do you know what we're doing? There's nothing of value. Soul like, sucking. It, it was awful. You know, and that's the other thing is when you go and talk to the career advisors and all this other crap, do you want to be a programmer? Do you want to be a banker? Do you want to be a garbage man? And it's like, no, none of them. As it turns out, I like partial business stuff, partial programming things, like marketing. Like I like all of these things combined. But if I was working at Google, only working on code for one specific feature of Google Maps or whatever it is, I would lose my mind. I would hate it. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many like niches inside programming. Rails is one of them, but you could be like, machine learning expert or crypto, or you could be a backend database expert, or you could be a JavaScript front-end expert, or you could be a full stack person who enjoys all of these things or whatever it is. There's like a million specializations you could do, but you can also not be specialized, which is an option too. But they never talk about any of that. They're just like, oh, you're going to be a programmer. Cool. They don't understand what it's like to be in the real world as a programmer. A lot of people just expect that one day an opportunity will just arrive at them and that it will just all work out. And there are probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who could take real advantage of this service you just spun up. But in their brain, they're like, well, I'm not good enough or I'm not this or I'm not that. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't start doing something, you're never going to make it and stop listening. You just have to start. Stop wasting time in your head and do something. Because the people who stand out are the people who get stuff done. If I'm hiring a developer, I want someone who can get stuff done, not debate me on like this or that. So this is my call to... I know there's a person listening to this like, I would love to try this, but they're never going to. This is me telling you, just try it. Because the worst you can do is fail. And what happens if you fail? Nothing. You can try again. But not trying anything is worse than failing. I agree. Also, I want to throw out the idea too that might sound a little weird. You could also be a junior, post a bounty. You need help on your own project from another junior. And you might make a really good acquaintance, good friend, who knows. But having that as an option too is totally doable. It's fascinating the people that you can meet and learn from 
They don't have to be better than you. They can be on the same level. They could be worse than you at programming. You will learn stuff from other people. So just like you could use that as an option just to meet other people and work on stuff together. And yeah, you never know what'll come of it. I was just saying this to someone and then I didn't really realize how much it's actually been true for me of like, I was trying to explain to this person like, look, people hire their friends. You hire people that you yeah. like and that you get along with regardless of this or that. Like at the end of the day, you hire people that you like. And there are a lot of people and I would definitely consider myself one of these. Like if I like you, I'm going to go to bat for you. And you want me in your corner because I'm going to fight for you. And so you got to remember that when you're thinking about these things of like, the more people I meet, the more people I impress, the more people I make friends with, the more people this, the more that. Those are all connections that will be invaluable later. This is what made me realize how true it was for me. Someone was asking me about how I like go about finding jobs. And I was like, at this point in my life, my friends just go to companies yeah. or start their own. And then they call me and they're like, hey, do you want to come work with us? That's actually how I've gotten the majority of my last few jobs. So that's... And those are, I've, I think, at least for me personally, the best jobs. Oh, 100%. Because they're so you, much fun. they know what you're getting into. Your friend's not going to sucker you into a shitty situation or they're not your friend. You have a relationship with them because you want to see them succeed. And you're like, you feel like you're fighting the good fight together as 100%. opposed to I show up, Google pays my salary they cook me food and I go home and do it all again tomorrow. But I know that they could let me go tomorrow and replace me with somebody else in an instant. And I don't like those experiences. I want to be the ones where we're working on stuff and we should go stop working at five, but like we'll happily continue working or whatever because we want to, because we like spending time together and like thinking through problems and coming up with ideas and being creative and whatever. I enjoy that. That definitely happens. Like my first Rails job, I got a job out of college doing Perl. Didn't really like it. And then I showed up to a meetup. I think it was the Ruby meetup in St. Louis. And the guy who was organizing it, fresh out of college, like three months out of college. And I was like, hey, I've been doing Rails on the side and I really want to be doing that. But right now I'm stuck at this Pearl job. And we chatted that evening at the meetup. And before I knew it, I was interviewing with them and got a job offer immediately. It was so much fun too, because I was telling them like, I don't have much production experience. So I built this to-do list, deployed it to Heroku. I intentionally wrote a bunch of bugs or did things poorly. So I'd have to like maintain it and practice that kind of stuff. And I showed them that during the interview and then I get an email the next day or whatever. And they're like, check out this to-do list. And it's like the hire Chris to-do list. And it's like, send him an offer and have him accept the offer and whatever else. Here's the start date and whatever. So they were like, That's cool. they fell in love with that, you know, because it was just the same thing where like, oh, these are people I could definitely hang out with in the evenings during a work right. week. Like we already did that at the meetup. And it became really good because we ended up working late in the evenings or weekends or we were hosting meetups and we're just like living and breathing programming and just doing cool yeah. stuff. And it was a really good time in my life. I enjoyed that a lot. That sounds exactly what I had with Nate Hopkins. It completely changed the trajectory of my entire career. Like we yeah. were coding late. We were working on the weekends, not at work stuff, but on like seamless reflex stuff and some awesome fun. I learned everything. I learned so much. And like, I wouldn't be here today without that. Yeah. You end up challenging yourself doing that stuff where you're like, we don't even know if this is possible, but screw it. Let's go like yeah. spend Saturday night doing that. You're not going to get that at a job where you don't have right. friends. You're not going to be doing that on a Saturday night or whatever be for fun because you want to, because you won't have anybody you want to actually do that stuff with. So... If you can find a job where it's like you're working with friends, then I feel like you learn a lot more, you accomplish a lot more, you have a lot more fun. It's just a different experience because I've worked the other jobs and you can't wait to clock out every day. Yeah. If you hate but, what you're doing, you're just, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. So, yeah. But it's also easy to go overboard the other direction and like burn yourself out of something you love, like programming. Uh, yeah. If you do too much, so you have to make sure you balance that out and yeah. other things. But it is helpful if you can enjoy what you do for a living. <laughs> 
It is. I'm fighting some burnout right now, but I'm not going to let it go that far because I've done it before. And you're right. When you're in that situation where you've always loved programming and now you hate it. And now you hate it. Oh my God. You, you like, you can't like even imagine yourself doing it more. Like you just like want to disappear and not ever have to do it again. Like that sucks. Like those it's are dark awful. times. Yeah. And then you're like, I have to do this for another 30 years or more before yeah. I retire. And you're like, I can't no. imagine doing this for another five years. Yeah. That's a dark time. Or for another sure. minute. Like that's, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. Are, you don't want to wind up in that situation because you have to make some really tough decisions. So, yeah, I always feel real bad when like I push myself to burnout or whatever. And then I take like a long vacation, yeah, three or four weeks. And then I come back and I'm still, I don't want to touch a computer. It's been so nice not being around computers. And then you come back and you're like, oh God, I got to do this again. Like that was real painful because you're like, I thought the reason I went on vacation was to like rejuvenate and be excited to come back. And I feel like even worse now, like I enjoyed the time off and now I'm back. I have to do it, but I still want to not be programming. Burnout is hard. Very hard. That's why I've got to do something about this before it gets farther. That's why you got a weekly remote Ruby therapy session with us. It's true. That's what we're here I see for. Chris and Jason's face once a week. See, that's why I was so messed up the last two weeks. Yeah. Damn. It all makes sense now. That's it. Well, soon we get to hang out in person, which I'm looking forward to. We don't get to do that often enough. What I need to do is join the Podia retreats and just like happen to be there. Hey, man. I mean, if you just happen to be in. And wherever we're at, when we happen to be there, I mean, who can do anything about that? You want to do a remote Ruby team building? (laughs) It'll be fun. This is how we bet you into coming to St. Louis. (laughs) Hey, this is exactly (laughs) how it happens. Oh, man. That was great. We should uh, end it there. See you next week. Later. Peace. Bye.